We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. This is Mean Lean from ArsenalVision.co.uk. Firstly, apologies about the sound. I'm not in my usual um, my usual location, uh, so I'm going to keep this snappy and short. But in today's show, usual guests, Elliot, James and Paul, will be discussing the 2-2 draw at Anfield. And normally at this point, give some views of my own on the game, but I'm suffering with a case of man flu. Watch, I'll prove it. <laughs> See? And uh, no, one, no one wants that. So, yeah, it was rubbish, wasn't it, really? Uh, we didn't play well at all, and um, I'm leaving it at that. I'm going to let the guys talk about the game instead. So, here they are. This is the Arsenal Vision Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can follow me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Uh, defensive shortages, failure to have proper defensive midfield cover, and bottle not being present in big games leads to Arsenal failure to secure three points. We are coming to you directly after the Chelsea match. I, I mean the United match. I, I mean the City match. No, it's the Spurs. No. No, that's right. It's right after the trip to Anfield. This is right after Liverpool. Sorry, I couldn't keep it straight because all the issues we'll be discussing today seem to be recurring themes of our season and of seasons past. So this ought to be uh, very easy to analyze. As usual, I am joined by men who will probably provide a slightly more optimistic slant and better insight than I am able. And we will start with James from GoonerFanatic49 on Twitter. James, hello again. Guten Tag. Oh, okay. I don't know what that means, but I assume it means go fuck yourself. Um, Okay, and also uh, (laughs) joining me is Paul from Poznan In My Pants. Um, If you'd like to uh, hear more about what he does in his pants, follow him on Twitter at Poznan In My Pants. Uh, He does all kinds of things in his pants. He'd be happy to share with you. Paul, welcome back. Go fuck yourself. I yeah. don't know what that. No, I don't. Uh, you know what? Good and talk to you too. If it's going to be like that, I, I see where it's headed. All right. So, I, I guess the 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 reality is two points at Anfield. Uh, two points. Two points dropped. One point at Anfield ordinarily uh, probably would not represent a crisis, but I think the way that we arrived at that point is the reason that a lot of people seem pretty downtrodden about it. Um, the, the performance wasn't great. The result in the context of how the game went wasn't great, and there are a lot of things to get to, but why don't we start with this? Um, Brendan Rodgers picked a very attacking side. He basically played all the midfielders. James, what do you think of the lineup we put out there? Do you think it was a case of uh, the only option the manager had? Do you think he got it right? Would you prefer to see something else? And how do you think that lineup 
um, sort of fared in terms of what Brendan Rodgers was was trying to do? Um, I think before the game, I was fairly content with the lineup. I think it made sense given the players available. Um, I think we we had debated a lot prior to the game as to who the starting back line would be. Uh, I certainly wasn't surprised to see the four personnel that were chosen. Um, I was a little surprised to see Chambers put out a right back and Debussy in the centre. Um, all things considered, I'm not sure if that was necessary where the faults on the team lay. I must say, you know, part of the issue we are, we, oh, I can, I have with Wenger at times is his sort of his inflexibility with changing the side midway through a game, and going into halftime, the four-three-three certainly didn't seem to be working particularly well against a, a Liverpool side that was flooded with midfielders. We were um, completely outplayed in the middle of the park, and we certainly needed the likes of. Alexis and, and Welbeck to be dropping a little deeper. I think Alex and um, Santi were far too, there was far too much space between them and, and the back four and Mathieu, um, which led to us being overrun. So the starting lineup itself wasn't necessarily an issue for me. Um, what I had a problem with was the lack of tactical um, flexibility midway through the game to alter the shape of the team, to counteract the, the way in which Liverpool set up against us. And um, yeah, I mean, it was, I mean, it was a frustrating game overall. But personnel-wise, I didn't, I didn't see there necessarily being a problem as such, especially given the paucity of options at our disposal. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I mean, I think it was, you know, arguably the best team he could put out. There, there was some question about Oxlade Chamberlain's fitness, and certainly based on the way he played, uh, you'd almost have to assume that he wasn't fit. Midfield's been a problem all season, I would say, and hasn't really functioned the way we'd like. This is the midfield that seemed to function very well against Newcastle and, and was abysmal against Liverpool. Um, Paul, would you have done anything differently with the setup? Do you think, based on what Rodgers was trying to do and so many midfielders you know, flooding the middle of the pitch for Liverpool, should we have tried something else? Um, you know, w- what was your opinion of how we set up and, and how we approached the game as it went on? Yeah, I'm not smart enough to work out what we should have done different. What, what struck me about it is kind of like uh, our previous, was it the game against uh, Galatasaray where Wenger told the opposition what the team was going to be before we showed up? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Rogers told us what he was going to do. Um, he, In fact, he, he gave us a sample video 90 minutes against who was a Bournemouth playing 3-4-3 with Sterling kind of leading the line. So... On the one hand, we knew exactly what they were going to do. Um, we were all pretty buoyant before the match going into it, but you know we were really good against Newcastle, but we had that energy you have from playing at home a little bit, and uh, I was pretty worried that when we went downfield, oh, I was pretty mistaken about how we were playing, that their overall energy and their four players in midfield... Uh, uh, we're going to have a pretty torrid time for a little while. And it kind of uh, reverted me back to my thinking on the Stoke match, which was my my big frustration uh, in Stoke, against Stoke, was not so much we played so terribly in the first half, which we did. It's that we didn't hang in the game by being a little bit more robust at the back. Um, and in, in some ways, I think Anfield was always going to be a bit of a buzzsaw, for running into a buzzsaw. And what we needed to do was kind of ride out the first 15 or 20 minutes. You know, of course you try and play your game, but as soon as you realize you're, you're running into a buzzsaw, you find a way to ride out that 15, 20, 35, maybe even 45 minutes and stay in the game, which accidentally, actually, we did. So in a sense, I'm not too surprised how it lined up. What was shocking was the number of passes. Every pass was missed, and you can talk about pressure, but a lot of those passes weren't that hard. Maybe they were the result, the compounding result of losing rhythm and confidence and not having trust in your fellow players. But my master tactical change would have been have most of those passes go to where they were going to because a lot of those passes weren't that difficult. It's, it's, it's actually a stroke of genius when you think about it. If you're going to pass the ball, complete the pass. And I think that's, 
that's yeah. definitely something that should have been taken into consideration. Um, you know, I, I am as guilty of anyone as having an agenda when I analyze things and then bringing that agenda to the discussion. But I think there may be some people who are a bit guilty of that, including in the media. Imagine that. But after this match, once again, the discussion is a lot on Matthew Flamini, who was terrible, and we'll get to him, and the back four, um, who had a lapse for certainly the the uh, equalizer late. But if you're asking me where the failure was in this game, it was in attack. Um, I look at the, the back four, back three, really, that they employed against us. I look at the paucity of, of really s uh, defensive options in midfield or defensive-minded options they had in midfield. And, and before the game, I looked at it and I said, we may concede one or two, but we, we have a chance to hit them for five, six, seven, name a number the way they're playing. And as the game went on, they took off Colatore. They started to pile forward. We barely created a chance from open play. Um, forgetting the 72% passing and the 36% possession, which was abysmal. We'll stay with you for a second, Paul, because you started to touch on it. I mean, you know you're not going to be great defensively just by looking at the personnel. How do you explain how little we did in attack, how few chances we created? What, in your opinion, is is the reason for the failure to expose a Liverpool team that's been exposed by virtually everybody uh, over the past 36 months? Honestly, it, it was shocking. And uh, I think a few people have touched on it and Adrian Clark in the breakdown did. But the separate, it, it was like the attack was just, uh, what's that movie with, uh, with Clooney and, uh, and he's up in space and, you know, somebody gets separated, you know, they're gravitating the earth. It's like the, yeah, gravity, which actually I, I thought George Clooney was great in that, actually. But anyway, it was like Clooney was one of our upfront three guys. And unfortunately, things go badly and they just separate off out into space, floating away. I mean, it, the, the front three was just disconnected and their passing was awful. I mean, Sanchez had a stinker. I really like Welbeck and uh, I'm still hoping to see the player. I think he's done well, and I'm still hoping to see the player I think he can really become. But, I mean, he was awful. And you expect decent... Well, you expect Sanchez to spill the ball a bit. He's, he spilled pretty much every ball. Welbeck was a a spill machine. Giroud was maybe a little bit better, but it was his lousy touch that uh, uh, spilled the ball uh, so that Coutinho was matched up against, I think, Flamini... Uh, uh, actually, Debushi, I think it was, was was uh, man marking him in the end for that goal. I mean, it was just, it, but it, it is one of those things where you say when every part of the team is working badly, every section, it, it's hard to pin it on one. But I see where you're going with the attack. I mean, they they didn't relieve the pressure. Our midfield was awful. Um, nobody could string a pass together. I don't know how Santi's numbers ended up being okay for passing because I don't know who the hell he was passing to. I thought he grew into the game a little bit. I mean, look, clearly there was there was an intention to be a little bit more compact defensively. And I actually thought before Giroud decided to do a flick to no one in our half, which usually he only does in the opposition box, um, you know, I thought we had defended manfully and, and done a decent job sort of riding out the storm. They, they looked a little bit blunt um, in attack, but... No counterattacking opportunities. We didn't, you know, attack them with pace. We didn't counter. I saw a really interesting picture, too, uh, 90 seconds into the game where they had three men running at two defenders of ours, you know, from the midway line. So, again, we had some of those issues early in the game of just committing too many forward. But as the game went on, we started to, to be a little more compact, but never managed to get the, the counterattack going. So, James, I'll ask you, I mean, what what are your opinions of, of our deficiencies in attack? Do you think some of it had to do with maybe Ox not being fit, with the midfield, the space between midfield and attack being too big? And also, would you say that maybe, you know, Alexis was really dominating when we were playing him more centrally behind the striker. He's moved out back to the wing again. Now is Giroud back. Um, is that marginalizing him too? And is that maybe to, uh, part of the explanation for why the attack looked a little more blunt on Sunday? Um, I'll first start with the overall attacking picture. Um, I think when we often analyse these types of games in particular, uh, when things haven't gone particularly well for us, um, there's often a common theme in that every aspect of the side has looked pretty poor 
from back to front, you know, goalkeeper aside. Um, if you look at the Stoke game, structurally the team was was supremely deficient. But I think most of our criticism was levied towards the ill discipline of the back line and um, how uncohesive they were together. Um, and I think there's often very much a structural problem. I mean, even, even when we're playing well, you look towards the Newcastle game, it's difficult to pick out one player that hasn't played particularly well. They're, they're also sort of tied in so closely together, um, each individual player and, and the kind of plays that you build up, whether from the back, um, moving into the middle, going forward. When I looked at that game, and I'm looking at mostly the highlights, the issues that I saw in particular, although there were problems all over the park, was, was as I mentioned earlier, was um, the huge amount of space in b- between our midfield players, um, sort of that line between our, our back four coming into the midfield and, and, and creating movement going forward with the attack. And when you have a midfield that was as lacking as it was um, in regurgitating possession, obviously we miss, we certainly miss Mikel, I think we miss Mesut in that regard far more than we realise. Um, and against a team that, that swarmed in the midfield, we really, really struggled with that, um, which then was part of the reason, but it certainly doesn't explain why we, was, we struggled to retain possession so excruciatingly poorly um, between the forward three. I mean, you've, you, both of you have talked to death about how poor Welbeck was at retaining possession. It's no real surprise with Alexi, although you still expect him, you know, he does tend to lose the ball, but that's normally because he's he's taking so many risks and he's trying to beat a couple of players. And but there's still plenty of times in the game where he drops deep and he drops his shoulder and he he creates a little bit of space for himself. You know, plays the ball across field or he you know it's not like he's constantly losing the ball. But in that game, I mean, that that might have been his worst game in an Arsenal shirt so far. And then as you as you guys mentioned, you had the sort of the irritating Giroud flakes that when they when they're not coming when they're not coming off. Um, <laughs> They're about as frustrating to see as anything uh, when watching Arsenal. Yeah. Uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Right, but uh, I mean, I guess moving to Alexis, I don't look. I don't think you can because on that point, I think the issues that lay in the team as an entirety was what helped the sort of consistent individual errors that we saw and the poor performance from e- you know from from each player. I mean, even when we you know we went ahead and there were like those little moments of. Yeah, I guess you could say brilliance with the with the Giroud goal with Santi and, and and Olivier. But aside from those, we we really didn't create much, and the team was really the, it, it was very difficult at any point in the game. Um, I, I don't know you guys. I mean, you guys were watching it live. I'm I'm sure those two goals probably came as a bit of a, sh- a shock to you. It's, it certainly seemed that way uh, watching it back. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think you know, Alexi was you know, he played on the right against Newcastle. He set up two of our goals excellently. Um, I think we often when seeing a player put in a position on a field, we kind of assume that he takes up a certain section of, of, of grass, but I don't think that's really the case. There's obviously the sort of fluid dynamic movement that Wenger encourages, especially amongst the front three. Um, and, you know, Alexi takes up various different spaces and pockets on the field. I just don't think when the team was as dysfunctional as they were going forward, for a player like Alexi especially, who needs plenty of attempts and plenty, you know, he needs a lot of, possession around him for him to sort of flourish and be able to take those risks and I, I think that that played a strong part in uh, his poor performance fair um yeah I, I want to ask you another question but really quickly Paul you have anything to add on on the struggles uh in attack yeah yeah just one quick point I mean James touched on it and I think everybody recognizes Arteta was a big miss yesterday it doesn't make me feel any better because you know he's getting older he's now potentially injury prone so it's not really an excuse it goes back to the kind of dm issue but i think when you're that bad across the team you got to look to the spine to fix the problems and i think giro would have been would have done okay yesterday on that spine we obviously have our issues at center back but arteta i mean he's almost never had a bad passing game so if you'd had cazorla and arteta in that midfield we might have uh rescued our passing game yesterday but you know yeah no that's fair i mean i mean should we just sit around and say how terrible matthew flamini was james or are we good just saying we missed arteta (laughs) um i don't think i don't think to be honest with you and i'm not i'm not a fan of flamini at all i don't think it was as bad as people 
you're uh, you're wrong, but, but finish your point and then we'll ignore it. <laughs> I don't think people. And look, I'll tell you why. I think Michael Cox did a good piece on the BBC. Is given the amount of space he was having to deal with Flamini with the against the, the sort of the overload of midfielders that Liverpool had, it was a very difficult position for him to play. And in fact, I think one of the biggest issues, uh, fitness aside, with Alex, and I touched upon it briefly on the last pod, mostly. Um, related to why I didn't think Bellerin was going to play away from home. But Alex, in, when he plays in the middle of the park, he's that fantastic driving force, well, certainly when he's 100% fit. He can take on players, um, but most of the qualities we see, see in him tend to be from an attacking point of view. Now, when we're penned in, in our own half for large chunks of the game, I think as much as we missed Arteta, we actually missed Aaron Ramsey a significant amount. You know, I, I, I've obviously gone a, a lot about Aaron and talking about him in the first two-thirds of the field. Um, but that kind of industry and um, that defensive side of his game, and I think as good as Chamberlain's passing technique as, as such, and I know we, we do tend to break Ramsey now and then for, um, forget, you know, at times for the sort of missed passes that he makes, but he does tend, tend to be a slightly, um, you know, he does tend to simplify things a lot more than Alex does in... in in that side of the game. And I think we did miss him considerably defensively. Yeah, look, I mean, Flamini was terrible. I, I think arguably the worst performance we've seen from him since he's come back. Um, I, I respectfully disagree with any attempt to defend him. And, and I mean, Gary Neville and Carragher on Monday Night Football just got finished ripping him to shreds. Uh, Neville actually said he has 45 individual clips of Flamini failing to do his job yesterday that he wishes he could show all of them. The exact quote, he's a commentator, shouting at everyone, not doing his job, he's not good enough. At, at one point, Neville's showing a clip and he says, he's pointing and shouting here, I'm not even sure what he's trying to get them to do. Um, Don't take me wrong, listen, I, 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 genu- I thought Matthew was, was pretty awful. What I'm saying is I think his job was supremely difficult last night. I don't know. I, I don't disagree. That's worse. fair. Look, here's the reality, right? I mean, he wasn't the only bad player, but that position in the way we play is meant to be the link up between defense and attack and get it to the players who can create attacks. And Matthew Flamini is not capable of doing that. If you press him, he can't control the ball. I also think he's a lot like Lee Cattermole in the sense that once he's on a yellow card, he is basically useless because he's tec- technically inept but he can be that terrier in the middle of the field. And with, when he has to play within himself on a yellow card, he can't be that terrier. I thought he was a complete liability in every phase of play. But, uh, Paul, okay, time to bring some sanity to the point. Uh, tell me you were equally uh, unimpressed with Matthew Flamini. I was, but I have a little bit of sympathy for the poor fellow. Oh, I'll make a few points quickly. Okay. Uh, people assume he was always a DM. He wasn't. He was certainly defensive by nature, but he was very often that second uh, pivot, uh, you know, high energy, box to box. He wasn't the deepest lying guy providing control. And so I have a little bit of sympathy for him. He certainly had a stinker. His biggest fault was probably that he was not Arteta because where the fault really lies was the fact that we had 100 passes to their 300 passes in that first half. Overall, I think we had about like... 36, 37% possession in the whole game. And what we really needed was Arteta and Cazorla uh, resting, wrestling the control of the midfield and bringing this game into some measure of balance. But yeah, he had a stinker. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things that I thought was very interesting, so I'm going to describe a game to you guys, okay? Um, home team falls behind. Home team starts to chase the game. Home team looks like they're in the ascendancy and are playing better despite being behind. Then while chasing the game, leaves themselves exposed to counterattacks and ultimately gets hit on the counter. Okay, that was what happened to us when United came to the Emirates. Similar situation against Liverpool. They outplayed us. We managed to get in the lead. They had to chase the game. They were pressing forward. In fact, they went down to 10 men, something we didn't do. But unlike United against us, we never made them pay for having to attack us, for taking off Colatore, for being down a man. We've, we've addressed a little bit why the attack suffered throughout the game. 
Why, why were we unable to get out of our 18-yard box in the last 10, 15 minutes? And how come there was never a counterattacking opportunity, despite them being camped in our half and having one defender left on the pitch? I mean, Paul, surely um, the players must have enough sense and the manager must be able to devise a, a substitution or some kind of tactic for hitting them in that situation um, knowing you're always going to be under pressure when your lead is just a goal and they're attacking, best way to relieve that is with a counterattack. And maybe as a corollary to that question, if Theo Walcott isn't fit enough to play, why even have him on the bench? And if he is fit enough to play, there's never going to be a time to take the risk on his fitness like being hemmed in your own half against 10 men away. I mean, what what the hell happened to our counterattack in the last 15 minutes of that match? Jesus Christ, Elliot. I think I saw you last <laughs> night walking past an alleyway where you found a drunk guy lying in the corner <laughs> well, and you beat the snot out of him. Well, he'd still probably and... kick my ass, to be fair. But, okay, well, I mean, because th this is the thing that bothers me. I mean, l let's face it. We are all very aware of our defensive deficiencies and Matthew Flamini's limitations. But, but if you know those things, then the other things should be things you can... Uh, you know, al allow for, adjust for, and succeed at. And to me, if you said with 15 minutes left in the game, 10-man Liverpool with one defender would have to attack us trying to chase the game, I'd tell you we were going to win 4-1, not draw 2-2, because that sounds like a recipe for us to get at them. And they've been so vulnerable. W why did we find it so difficult to generate any kind of counterattack in that last phase of the game? Jesus, Ali, you just went back into the alleyway and kicked the Well, he wa I wasn't done with him yet. <laughs> I mean, where, where, where was the counterattack? What happened? Well, the, the reason I say that is you're not wrong. Oh, okay. Um, well, then I'm fine with it. Know, yeah. Analogy accepted. He's, he's drunk and defenseless. But, <laughs> you know, actually, I think it's a brilliant comparison. And uh, uh, there's an Irish term called plaw mossing. I'm not plaw mossing yet. I, I, it actually occurred to me for a fraction of a second, uh, you know, after the game, the united comparison, the difference between them and us, uh, you know, neither one of the teams had the right to win the game. Mm -hmm. They won the game. We we had that game right there for us. And, you know, ta it, to not answer your question, I thought it was interesting. Wenger's uh, uh, commentary after the game, he said something about it, it was kind of sounded a bit negative. And then he said about something to the effect of, but Santi was one of the players who did show up for the game. Mm -hmm. And the whole tone, if you, if you read the two sentences together, was a whole bunch of players did not show up, and he didn't understand why. Now, Well, we're, we're going to get to that larger point in a minute, because I actually have a question about yeah. that. So we will definitely address that further. Yep. Um, so I don't have a good answer, yep. except I think our mentality is weak, because okay. there's no... There's no reason why we shouldn't have won that, especially when we were up. And tactically, we didn't do anything very clever. We brought on three or four extra full backs, but it didn't solve the problem that we couldn't hold on to the book. Yeah, we, we the, definitely didn't ball. bring on four extra full backs, although that would have been sure. that might have been what we were missing. Um, yeah. uh, no, to, to your point, I, I think that's well taken. And I, the only reason I'm, I'm cutting you short there a little bit is I want to get to the mentality issue as sort of a last thought on the game. So we'll come back to that. Put a pin in that. That'll be a fun discussion. Um, uh, but, but James, I mean, I get it. Look, we have, in, we have an abundance of injuries. We can talk about why. We can worry about them. And we certainly don't want to risk players. But once you put someone on the bench, my attitude is they have to be in contention to play. Um, you know, it, it became very clear late in the game that we needed an outlet. We needed something that could challenge them as they started to pour forward. I mean... Where was Theo? At what point, you know, do you say, if he's on the bench, for God's sakes, give him 10 minutes to, to relieve the pressure. What did you think about the end game? The, the way we played out the final 10, 15 minutes, the lack of counterattack, and also potentially the decision to take off Giroud, who, for all of his flaws, is arguably our best at defending set pieces and may have made a difference if he was on for that corner late. I mean, explain to me how we managed to balls up the last 15 minutes. Okay, I think there's a lot of questions within that, so I'll try and tackle them Yeah, I like to keep quickly. this a, a morass of confusion and and, right. and make it difficult as possible to answer the question. Uh, just quickly on this Giroud point, I'll try and find some form of defense somewhere, but I think 
I mean, if I was reading the quotes after that, Giroud was apparently sick going into ah, the game. Okay, well, I didn't know. Um, so I think the plan was always to take Giroud out at a certain point. Um, I think with regards to the corner, if I'm, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but Giroud normally is situated on towards sort of the front post uh, when defending corners. So I'm not sure how much role he really would have played technically, you know, with the ball sort of reaching further towards the back post, which is the Chambers and Murdersacker area. Whether I know that Welbeck moved further forward, whether he, with Giroud on the pitch, he would have been further back, I don't know. Um, it's, you know, it is sometimes a little bit of confirmation bias saying that, you know, if Giroud was on the pitch, perhaps that corner would have been dealt with better. I, I don't know. I think moving on towards why Walcott didn't come on, I must say I'm a little bemused as to why we continue to select players on the bench that don't seem to be fit or don't seem to be in the manager's mind to be really brought on in, in key moments in the match. Uh, I think Koscielny was on the bench, was it at Stoke or recently? And I don't think there was ever any chance of him coming onto the field. It was like he was literally brought to make up the numbers. It seemed very much the same for Walcott. I can only have seen Walcott coming on if we were desperately chasing the game and Wenger was just sort of throwing something else at it or perhaps if we happened to be cruising and he wanted to give Walcott some minutes to, to get him some match practice. But, so, I mean, yes, that it seems very strange to me and I think actually the biggest issue um, of having, you know, one of the biggest issues with the squad at the moment is is the injury crisis. I think that is the single biggest uh, problem that we have at the club and it's something that's been recurring for a long, long time. And it's far greater than this, you know, well, I mean, it, it kind of ties into not bringing in an extra defender when you know that you tend to have these kind of injury crises. And it's, you know, that in itself is, unfortunately, as, as, as onlookers and, you know, outside the, the, the circle of Arsenal Football Club is something that's very difficult for us to assess. Mm-hmm. Um, but the one, one defence I will make with regards to not bringing Walker on or... Um, is that I, I, if I were to bring him on, I probably would have brought him on when, when Joel Campbell came on, who I guess in theory is also a player, you know, he's quick, he's quite, you know, he's quite good at retaining possession, he's someone that you would think would be able to hit a team on the break quite effectively. The problem, I don't know that I'm going to give him credit for being quite good at anything, but go on. <laughs> okay, well, we're in one of those moods, I suppose. <laughs> <Yes>. um, <laughs> well, the thing is, the difference between United and our, you know, between our game against United and this game against Liverpool is, was very much the mentality that you mentioned, but more importantly was the confidence against this type of side in the sense that for that entire game, even even when we took the lead, even when we equalised, we were very much a side that was battered that game. I think you said it was, I think we had possession of around 36%, which is, I believe, the lowest ever recorded by... That is correct. Arsenal ...under yes. uh, certainly Wenger's um, career, and the most amount of shots we've ever conceded in the Premier League. Um, so even when once we'd taken the lead, we were, we were a team that was almost cowering. Uh, we were a team that didn't have the confidence that we could really, you know, take on that Liverpool side and, uh, and score a third and give us that two-goal cushion. So given the way we were playing, I can almost understand Wenger's attitude to be like, you know, just throwing all the defensive midfield, like Cochran, wherever he is, he plays, whether it's fullback or defensive midfield, and throw on Monreal and just really try and pack that, um, 18 yard box and just try, try and grind out the game, which we didn't do particularly well at all. Uh, I just don't think we're a team in that state of mind or in the state of mind to be able that just didn't have the kind of confidence to really soak up some pressure and hit them on the counter. Even honestly, even if Walker had been brought on, I just I can't have seen the result being any different. I mean, it just seems to me like a complete failure to understand how to win a game in a big situation. I'm going to get to that in a minute. But uh, I know, Paul, you had, you had one more thought on Walcott being left on the bench to uh, observe. Just, just a very lines. quick one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just very quickly. It's not like we left Bastian Schweinsteiger back at London Colony. Uh, you know, you got whatever, seven players on your bench. Um, I think the frustration for fans, unfortunately, is when you put Walcott on the bench, He's frustratingly close to getting on the pitch, but I think he was there for purposes of the future. 
which is one of the considerations. I mean, we had Podolsky, we had Campbell to come on ahead of him. Walcott wasn't fully match fit. Doesn't mean you don't include him in the traveling party, get him mentally in the groove for the next game, get him five or ten minutes if things are going well. The issue is we, you know, we didn't leave Bastian. I, 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 I fully understand that point, um, Paul. But, you know, just to interrupt really briefly, I mean, I'm not talking about, you know, asking him to come into a combative game where tackles are flying around and, and play 30 minutes. Even the last 10 minutes, tell him to stand on the halfway line and kick it long um, and chase it. I mean, just kick it and chase it. You know, I mean, just have him do wind sprints for 10 minutes. You know, there's a chance he gets in behind because there was no one behind, you know, behind our forwards to, to protect their goal. And and that's basically how United got behind us. They just kicked the ball long and they were on to us. Um, uh, I, I'm, I'm going to say this. I'm going to, I'm going to go on a, on a quick, like 10 or 15 minute rant. And then I'll give you guys 30 or 40 seconds to respond. Um, I'm kidding, obviously, but, uh, here's, here's what I'm going to say. There is a distinct problem with us in big Hello? games. Yeah, Paul, you there? Yeah. Okay. Well, um, so so I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and just uh, uh, give my thought on the big game issue here really quickly, and then give you guys a chance to respond, and then we'll wrap up and and maybe just have a quick mention of what's coming up. But I don't want to go on too long. Um, yeah. We for for a long time now we have struggled in big games, and if you look at it again this season, if you want to count Everton as a big game, Everton. City, Spurs, United, Chelsea, Liverpool. Four points from 18. Um, down 3-0 to Everton in the blink of an eye. Um, you know, really blew it against Spurs. Blew it against United. Uh, blew it against Liverpool. I saw a table that was put out today that we'd be one point off the top uh, if we had taken full points from all the games we led this season. Um, I don't want to get into the manager issue too strongly, but the manager after the game said we started slowly perhaps because we had the thoughts of last season's match and the fears of last season's match in our mind. Surely it is his job to make sure that is not the case, to, to find a group of players that have the bottle to go into Anfield with some degree of confidence against the 11th place side in England and, and at least play with them. Certainly not be out-possessed 64 to 36 and, and complete 72% of your passes. Um, the fact that we couldn't find a single counter-attacking opportunity late in the game. The fact that we couldn't uh, mark Martin Skirtle, who is really their only threat for a set-piece from the set-piece that cost us the equalizer. Uh, just the sloppiness, the lack of ability to, to finish games. Y you have to wonder... What is happening now? And and I do think we can still probably finish in the top four. And when we are fully fit, I mean, not that we'll ever be fully fit, but even slightly more fit, there is a good chance we finish in the top four. I think we have to acknowledge the possibility we won't. I don't think you can look at how we've played this season. See, people see us having played poorly last uh, on Sunday. I think we played the way we played a lot of this season. The defense of Arsene Wenger has been, you know, he's never been great defensively, but he's he's treated us to beautiful football. I don't think we've played much beautiful football for several seasons, and we are not playing beautiful football this season. We have not had flowing attacking displays. Um, and in big games, we, we suffer. And even if we finish fourth, but if we go on this season to take seven or eight points from the 36 points on offer in big games, again, you just have to ask, where's the excitement from that? I'd be happy finishing fourth every year if I felt we played some attractive football and really stuck it to a few of our, our big club rivals, but that's not happening. So I guess I'll, I'll start with you just quickly, Paul. Mentality starts from the top and works its way down, but we looked like we shit ourselves the minute the game kicked off, and when we got the lead, instead of looking like a team that gained confidence from it and were excited to go hit them on the counter, we played scared. How, at what point do you say there is a mindset at the club of simply not being able to win big games and that that is something that cannot be corrected by personnel? What, what in your opinion, is going on in these big games? I mean, I know that's a big question, but just if you had to quickly summarize your thought about big, big game performances, what would, what would you say is the problem? 
I agree with your overall point, and um, I fully agree. It comes down to the manager. Um, you know, it's his job. To, uh, it frustrates the heck out of me when he says, "You know, it seems like we were a little bit af- afraid from the result from last year." I mean, me too. that that's his job. You know, if he has one job, he can't kick the ball around. He's going to play a four-two-three-one, so he's not going to do anything tactically. Uh, I mean, there are tweaks you do within that, and of course, he's doing tactical stuff along the way. But he's not doing major surgery here. He didn't switch to a three-four-three. His job is to get the guys to go out, fired up, and play, and to come out. Now, his his job is also to get everybody around at halftime and. To, get them to put in a better performance, which we kind of did, but it wasn't as to your point, Manchester United won their game when they had a a somewhat parallel situation against us and it's his job to do it. So I fully agree with that. You know, personnel wise, he picks these, this personnel and he hasn't picked so far. We haven't seen big game players uh, come to the fore here. So uh, it's extremely frustrating. I would argue on the there's been no beautiful football point, but that's a really long discussion, so I won't get into that. I know there's a lot of people who say that, so a, a lot of people agree with you. But I, I think you compare our football to most teams out there in the Premier League, we still provide some pretty damn good football, and there have been some great performances this year, albeit against the weaker side. So that's the caveat. I, I, that's fair. I, I would simply say, Paul, that like, we don't create chances the way we used to. We have become a team that, that creates fewer and fewer chances. I know in Europe, uh, 7 a.m. kickoff, Tim from 7 a.m. kickoff keeps stats like this, and we were the second fewest chances created in the Champions League last year ahead of only, like, gank or something. So it's not so much that we don't pass it well or we don't move a little bit, but, you know, we, we don't test keepers. We, we don't create the kinds of chances we once didn't. And, and I, you know, I'm not going to be overly critical of the, the kind of football we play. I just think that we are not, we are not the attractive attacking sides of time gone by, which y- y- the only reason I bring that up, Paul, is simply that I think if we are playing really scintillating attacking football, I'm willing to trade off being a little bit naive defensively. You know what I mean? Um, if you're winning yeah. games 3-2 and if, if you're just a joy to watch, then not being so efficient in attack is something that's tolerable. I mean, in defense is something that's tolerable. But but just moving on really quickly, I mean, James, the big games are clearly a problem. And and let me ask you this. You know, I've, I've heard it said by a lot of pundits that, or, or Arsenal bloggers and podcasters, that the manager can't buy himself any goodwill anymore, that every loss leads to a, a really um, aggressive attack of the manager. But I would argue it's because we don't win big games. For example, if we had beaten Spurs this season and beaten City this season and beaten Liverpool, I think the manager would have more goodwill on his side. Do you think we need to start winning big games for the pressure to ease on the manager? And do you think that is really at the core of why the frustration has become so intense? Because because these are the games fans look forward to. Was I excited to play, you know, Newcastle at home? I mean, yeah, you kind of look forward to it or Galatasaray, but it's Liverpool, it's United, it's Spurs. Those are the games you look forward to, and and those are the games you want to win. Certainly, it definitely plays an important role in in the reason why so many fans are so frustrated with the manager, along with many other reasons that there's no point in really getting into at this point. Right. Um, the thing with it is, is you know, I, the manager has to take a huge portion of the blame. Um, Paul put it extremely well with regards to it's it's his job um, to make sure the players are fired up and and ready for these types of games. It's you know I'm I'm equally as frustrated you know listening to those types of quotes after the game as to um, the, you know the match from last year still playing on the players' minds. I mean. We, you know, you have Chambers that comes in. You have Debushi. You have Alexis Sanchez. You have Welbeck. These four players, um, especially you know, say Sanchez and Welbeck, who didn't have a particularly great game. None of them were were there at Anfield last year. None of them were part of the team that um, got demolished. Um, so there definitely seems to be some sort of mental fragility that's that's been very that's been inherent in this Arsenal team as a whole for quite a few years now when playing the bigger teams, um, and that's that's a big worry. But I do think also it, it does come down to personnel. Um, 
in the sense that one of the things we've really struggled with is, as Paul mentioned, Wenger's um, tactical inflexibility is, you know, his, you know, although there are, there are slight tactical changes that he does make from an overall point of view, game by game, the, the team doesn't change that much, um, and that seems to lead to pretty, pretty big issues when playing the 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 stronger sides. But I do feel that you know personnel does play a, a large role, and that was one of the worrying things last year was you know the team had a lot of confidence going into say the game against Chelsea, yet still despite the the, the fantastic run of results going into that, um, the, the the performance was was as abysmal as as we've come to expect in the big games, um, and 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 that's certainly a worry. You would hope that you know you wonder if maybe one day if we do get this uh, mythical DM and and a new CB in, you if if even then with you know at least the majority of you know some of your your. Your your big players, if if a Mesut's back, and then you go into a game against um, the likes of United or City or Liverpool, and still the exact same flaws come to the forefront, then that you know I think then that's an even bigger worry in in the near future, because you know at least as of now, one of the you know promising things I guess is you know there are clear faults in this side that are pretty clear for everyone to see, and you do think that given the kind of change. From a transfer point of view, um, in the way in which Wenger has, has acted over the, certainly this past summer, and to a certain degree, the summer before, there's a little more hope that those kind of issues can now be resolved. Um, assuming that is the case, which is a big assumption, one that I tend to still be, you know, a believer of. You would hope that maybe, maybe that's <laughs> um, there's hope that um, hopefully there can be sort of a a change in in the mentality and and the way in which we approach those types of games, but as as of now, it's it's certainly something to to be concerned about. Yeah, I, you know, I think I know for myself, um, and and I don't by any means mean to hold myself as representative of of the group as a whole, but I think I'm just really uh, frustrated by the inability to win the big games, and and we've covered this on other pods, and I'll say it again, you know, it just it just doesn't it's not fun to support the team that bottles it you know and and i know we did win the fa cup last season and that was wonderful and and we tried to bottle it and we didn't so that was great um and i think the reason for a lot of optimism going into this season was a feeling that winning a trophy would remove that bottler's mentality from us and 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 give us the confidence in big moments to step up on the big stage and win um and i think we're still waiting to see that you know, other fans and the media joke about our club and our team, you know, bottling it. And, and you can count on Arsenal doing that. And it's just, it's very, very frustrating to have that mentality of not being winners associated with you. Um, we'll start to wrap it up. I mean, to end on a high note, really, really quickly, because we are, we are uh, waffling on here longer than anyone would want to listen to me, certainly. Um, James, you have any positives you want to take away from the game? Um, there's not many, but I suppose Giroud scoring what could have been, uh, you know, had 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 we managed to close out the game, a, a a supremely important goal is something that we've, you know, a criticism we've often levied towards him is that his inability in big games to come up with the goods. And although he had a very poor game, that that could have proved to be a, I mean, it's it still was a a goal that got us a point, but could have yep. proved to be much more than that. No, I think that's fair. Hey, I mean, what, his his return. What, what sorry, go his, ahead. I was just going to ask, what was his chicken dance about? That was very strange. I don't know. He's been picking up a few things from Sonogo, I fear. Yeah, uh, well, that would explain the layoff to no one in his own half. I I agree. I mean, the the, the frustrating thing with Giroud is he's returned in seemingly good goal-scoring form, but you wonder if maybe his return has moved Alexis to the periphery a little bit. Um, uh, Paul, any one quick uh, positive that might be something we can take away going forward? Not really, uh, uh, but I wandered down that laneway and kicked the shit out of that drunk with you. I mean, yeah. I, I agree with you on the, the We are bottlers in chief at the moment, and, and maybe we're not. Maybe that's harsh, but it's, you know, at some stage, this team has to prove that wrong. And I don't want to have to keep defending them because it's not defendable. We are bottlers against any big side, and big includes this Liverpool team, who, to be fair, 
if they play like this against every other team this season, their results are going to zoom upwards. But, you know, it's still Liverpool. It's not Chelsea at home. It's not City at home. It's not United at home, God yeah. forbid. I, I, I mean, look, if I had to take one positive, it's not even a positive. I just, I would, I would maybe try to tamp down on some of the doom and negativity surrounding this by simply saying that we may have played Liverpool at a bad time only insofar as I thought they played pretty well against United on the attacking side of the pitch and as well against, I think it was Bournemouth in in the League Cup. And Rodgers may have stumbled onto an attacking lineup in the absence of Sturridge that works, you know, using Coutinho and Sterling and, and, you know, uh, really getting the most out of Sterling in that false nine role. So, Maybe we just got them at a bad time. But look, I don't care who we beat or lose to or whatever it is between now and the next big game. It's not going to mean anything unless when we go to, you know, go to City, we win. Or when Chelsea comes to the Emirates, we win. Or when we go to Old Trafford, we win. Until we do that, no one's going to believe in this team. And no one should. No one has has a right to. I mean, Paul, uh, you know, do you have anything a little a little more positive? Yeah, we got a point away at Anfield, and if we beat them at home, we'll have got four points out of that tie. And if we do that against everybody in the top six, you know. Yeah, no, I agree. Look, I I still think we can finish top four. I just, at the end of a season, if you finish top four, your hope is you have some big wins to remember from it. And hopefully we still have time this season to do it. Look, we've got a lot of fixtures coming up, so rather than – making this a podcast no one wants to listen to over the next couple of weeks. Let's let's call it a day there, wrap it up, and just say that we'll be back with um, coverage of all the uh, holiday program fixtures as long as we're all available and our internets work and so on and so forth. So uh, once again, James, you can follow him at GoonerFanatic49. James, thanks for uh, taking time out from your uh, stay in Spain to join us. Thanks, guys. Thanks. And uh, Paul can be followed at Poznan in my pants. Paul, uh, as ever, we appreciate you coming on and saying a few sensible things. Up the arsenal. Woohoo! Yeah, there you go. Uh, if you want to follow me or unfollow me, I'm at Yankee Gunner on Twitter. My name's Elliot Smith. We're going to leave it there for now. We'll talk to you next time. When you make decisions for your company, you always look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing and shipping to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your process to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, books, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart if you sell online. Schedule package pickups through the dashboard and automatically see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers with rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are, even on the go. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other business decision makers with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com, code PROGRAM.